If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Today on the show, we speculate about what happens after we finally choose that cereal. Welcome to SideQuest, a sister podcast to Lore Party. Instead of exploring the in-universe stories of our favorite video games, this show is about how those stories are told. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. I'm Michael. And I'm Caleb. Guys, I'm so excited about SideQuest. This is going to be an interesting pet project for us. Dude, hell yeah. Especially especially for <laughs> Caleb in particular, because Caleb <laughs> loves getting meta dude, about storytelling. Dude, I love getting meta about storytelling. Like, this is, <laughs> it's, it's why I love video games, is because of how unique they are and can be as a storytelling medium and (laughs) this is exciting for me for sure for sure it's going to be fun to talk about more of the storytelling techniques and less of being restricted to the actual in-universe lore it's going to be an interesting breakdown of some of the unique ways just like caleb you were saying some of the unique ways that stories are told through the medium of video games, which is so interactive, so unique. But right after I say that, I am forced to admit that today's episode is not about a video game at all. Oh, <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> the ultimate meta. Right. This is getting super meta, but of course, on the very first episode of SideQuest, we are going on a real big side quest, and we're going to talk about Netflix's failure experiment depends on your point of view we're gonna get into that but we're gonna talk about bandersnatch today yeah like i think it's it's gonna be intense because pretty much all of us have completely different (laughs) uh takes and opinions on bandersnatch and had very different experiences with it which is a bit a big part of the the point of it is um everyone's experience with it was just so different yeah and it does seem to be a pretty polarizing thing. Like, I'm not seeing a lot of people going, wow, I have no feelings about that. It's interesting because it's confronting TV watchers with choices that they have to make, and it's confronting video gamers with scenes they have to watch with minimal choice. So it's kind of that interesting gray area. Yeah, it's definitely a weird melding of those two worlds, and two worlds that we in particular are heavily invested in as huge nerds and huge geeks, video games and television are two things that we consume a lot of. So it's going to be an interesting discussion. Before we get ahead of ourselves, I think we should set the scene and go over just a very, very brief plot summary of Bandersnatch. To be fair, there's not a lot of plot in the (laughs) first place. The show is about a young man named Stefan. He's a game designer in the 80s, early 80s, I believe, and he's working on developing a game based off of the novel Bandersnatch. That novel is all about making choices and going down different paths, and that's the type of game that he's making. So you can already tell the show is getting super meta. But that's the basic premise of the plot, and that sets up the story right at the start. 
throughout this story, as you make decisions and as you watch the show slash play the show, Stefan starts to sort of lose his mind and starts to feel like he's not in control and that someone else is in control of him, which again, getting meta because we are the ones in control of him, but he starts to lose his mind, act erratically, and finishing this game becomes quite the tragic adventure for Stefan. It's the challenge every young game designer runs into. How do you make a good game without then being convicted for murdering your father? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's a hard life out there, you know? And I think it's also worth mentioning that Bandersnatch is an extension of Netflix's show Black Mirror, uh, which is a show that's all about the horrors or, or potential horrors of uh, technology. I think most people are familiar with the social credit score episode with uh, people rating each other and people having societal benefits based off of that score. And Bandersnatch kind of fits right into that show's themes. Yeah. Uh I think Black Mirror is challenging our perspectives on technology. I don't know if Bandersnatch in particular does the same. I also don't know that they sought out to. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to speak from the perspective of like what their intentions were when they made it. But ultimately, it seems like by some measures, it's been a pretty good success. Uh, I know some people don't care for it <clears throat> people here but uh you know <laughs> whether you liked it or you hated it it's definitely kind of a new thing right and that's part of why we want to talk about it on lore party or on this mm -hmm. podcast network because this is something that is kind of blurring the line between a cutscene that you play and a movie that you play yeah, and for me, it was kind of weird seeing sites like Polygon and GameSpot uh, cover Bandersnatch as though it were this kind of blend between game and show, uh, when in reality, when watching it, it's really just a show that you occasionally make choices in. Right. Yeah, and it's important to note that this isn't the first experiment of this type that Netflix has tried. There was actually an earlier experiment. It was a partnership with Telltale, RIP, and it was a Minecraft <laughs> game that yeah. was translated to a netflix show where you sort of also made the same decisions i believe i never actually tried it but that raises sort of the key question that we're going to discuss on today's episode and that's what bandersnatch could have learned from companies like telltale who have been doing storytelling like this choice-based decision-based storytelling for a very long time and like i mean hell that's the entire point of the movie is in the 80s, uh, a guy's making a game that functions along this line. And so, um, Telltale's a big one. Uh, we're talking about Life is Strange from Don't Nod. We're talking about um, indie titles like Pyre. Yeah, I'm, and even the entire RPG genre in general, right? Like, a lot of RPG games, the selling point is you get to roleplay a character, and part of that roleplaying is you make decisions that affect the story, that affect your relationships, that affect uh, the endings of the game, that affect these different paths that you can take and the different levels that you can tackle. And that's not to say anything about tabletop role-playing games, you know, like Dungeons and & Dragons and, and Pathfinder, you know, games where you have, like, infinite choice. You could, you know, to an extent, be anything you want and do anything you want, you know, going from there to video games where your choices and freedom is a little bit more constricted um, to tell, you know, a more linear story. 
and then going from that to you know something like Bandersnatch, where it is you know a combination of you know choices and traditional movie and TV, where you have limited or no choice. Right. It's it's an interesting exploration of all those different media. I think it's also worth mentioning because you know Abu, you bring up a good point about RPGs, like Zelda. You know, we we talk about Zelda on Lore Party, and it's an incredible franchise. And although they don't necessarily present the game to you as like a choose your own adventure because it is pretty linear in the way that you progress through the various games, the way that I feel as Link kind of gallivanting across Hyrule, most recently I played uh, Breath of the Wild, and like, am I the stealthy Link who sneaks into their camp and like sets up bombs, or am I the badass who rides in on my horse, you know, and like, these are decisions that really affect my visceral sense of playing the game and how it feels to be in the game world, which is kind of what the game is trying to achieve, right? It's trying to immerse you in a world where you can make those choices and be the character you want to be. Yeah. Although I would argue that I think Bandersnatch isn't trying to go for immersion. I don't think that's the end goal of Bandersnatch. I think Bandersnatch is trying in some weird like hyper meta way to say something about the idea of control like michael was saying the idea of like control and technology and how that affects our lives and also point out that the netflix viewer is part of this story like you are controlling stefan to some extent you are also a character in this story i think it really gets hyper meta and tries to make some sort of commentary on control and gameplay and it's less about immersing the viewer into stefan's story in particular i think stefan's story actually takes a back burner to the more meta narratives that come up throughout bandersnatch would you guys agree i i would and it's it's funny um it's kind of a it's kind of a lame way to put it but it really feels like bandersnatch is kind of part of the black mirror brand as it were where it's more about teaching you the you know player or, or viewer or, or whatever it, you want to call it in this case uh, about sort of like the the ethics of controlling different people because you know to an extent these are you know quote unquote real people controlling characters in a thing that I too am controlling. And it's more about, uh, you know, Bandersnatch is more about the exploration of sort of the, the ethics of that control. And is it okay to control these characters, these people against their will? I mean, the answer is yes. That's literally what video games are about. That's literally what movies are about. Like, I mean, if that is ultimately the question Bandersnatch is trying to ask, it's a fairly easily resolved one. Well, I think the endings, because we talk about like whether or not it's being coy in some of these things, but like the ending where he's on the Netflix set and he gets dragged off of the Netflix set screaming, did you enjoy that, you psychopathic, like, you know, monster? Basically saying like, you as the viewer chose these things that led him to do terrible things. And now his mind is broken and he's being dragged away going, are you happy? Are you happy that you led to this like terrible reality? And I think that is, uh, you know, that that's one of the differences here, right? Like video games are pixels on a screen, but these are actors playing out scenes and who may be affected by the character or may be affected by the choices that are made by their character in turn by the player. Yeah, I would agree with Leo on that. I think... 
ultimately Bandersnatch isn't trying to ask a question about whether the mediums that we enjoy, mediums like video games, where we make decisions about other people's quote-unquote lives, even if they are pixels, I don't think it's asking a question whether or not that's right or wrong. I think it's simply pointing out that technology has the potential, which is a very Black Mirror sort of theme, but technology has the potential to one day lead to a situation where maybe we are using real people like Stefan as entertainment through some sort of game, through some sort of control. And I think that's sort of the horror scenario that it's presenting. I don't know if it's entirely successful. I'm curious what you guys think. I don't know if it's entirely successful in conveying that. I might be giving it too much credit here. I think what we're looking at is a slightly too straight-faced adaption of that one Looney Tunes episode where Daffy Duck was arguing with the animator. Oh, that's such a good episode. Oh my god. Deep cuts, man. <laughs> but I mean, like, I mean, that that's what this is. It's the character arguing with the audience or the creator. It's not an entirely original idea. This is something that um, stories have been, this is the story that's been told multiple times. Like I said, the Daffy Duck episode where he's arguing with the animator. Um, uh, any number of stories or movies where even video games where the characters involved find out that they're a part of a movie, a game, or a story and try to rebel against the author in some meaningful way. Like, freaking Deadpool made uh, a freaking entire co- two entire comedy movies about <laughs> what Black Mirror is trying to do straight-faced. And so as a result, I think Black Mirror to my mind, ends up coming off as very silly and foolish, trying to present a somewhat, trying to take a somewhat cliched idea and presenting it as if it's original without adding anything new. Although I'll point out that depending on the choices you make in the game, like if you lead down to the choice where he goes back and he puts the toy under his bed and then he gets taken, you know, goes with his mother and then the train crashes and he dies, like that ending doesn't at really at any point have a moment of like direct confrontation with the player. And at that point, the entire purpose of the narrative is this kid in these branching timelines, finding a way to circumnavigate all of the terrible, miserable endings that could have happened by kind of committing like suicide as a child. Right. And I think broadly, cause if, and we should probably talk just kind of generally about, I think, the listener will get an impression of our our impressions of the movie, but I think we should just say outright, like, I personally enjoyed it. There were times that I was frustrated by things that we are going to talk about. There were definitely things that could be done better, which we will talk about. But I think overall, there were a lot of moments as I was watching Bandersatch where I was just thinking, like, this is awesome. They had so many scripts. They had so many things going on. The actors do a really good job in in these different moments, there were moments that I thought the acting could have been better. But overall, I had a lot of moments of just enjoying watching the movie that was playing out. But I'll I'll sort of wrap up my thoughts saying, I think if their goal was to create something that started conversations that was entertaining for a broad swath of an audience and contained interactive elements in a way that we have only seen in a Minecraft narrative, but that is then breaking into a bigger populace, 
I think they did a great job and they succeeded. If they meant to do this perfectly on the first try and they meant to like put their, you know, thumb their nose at video games for the last 35 years, clearly they failed. But, you know, I think it's depending on what we say they're trying to do. Right. Yeah. If we're drawing battle lines in the sand here, I'm on Leo's side. Yes. I'm going to be in the Leo camp of I truly did enjoy it and I can't help. I have a background in film and I, I, you know, do a lot of videography and that that's sort of what my chosen field is. And I can't help but appreciate the production chaos that must have happened on and offset just to make something like this happen. Because like Leo was saying, there's multiple scripts, multiple outcomes, small continuity things that you have to be extremely aware of that have to be perfect. Tiny, tiny things like what commercial plays on the TV based on what serial you picked, what music plays based off of whatever you played in the bus, like tiny continuity things like that. I have to appreciate from a straight production standpoint the achievement that Bandersnatch is. Whether or not the story lives up to its lofty goals, I'm not sure. I'm very torn about the story itself, but I will definitively say that I appreciated the production. It was very high quality, and uh, really the team behind it must have worked so incredibly hard to make it all work. Yeah. I think overall, though, the weakest part of Bandersnatch and the part that really rubbed me the wrong way was how much navel gazing there was. There was a lot of like meta commentary and meta like pointing at the camera and being like, oh, you scum. Did did you just enjoy watching Stefan go crazy? (laughs) Yeah. And that to me is kind of where Bandersnatch as, as a whole experience kind of fails as even just like as a product as it were because uh, I can't help but to think of uh, someone like a Hideo Kojima when he was developing Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, he had a ton of really crazy ideas um, one of which I remember is like every time that you died in the game the actual like physical copy of the game would be destroyed and like oh that's God, stupid what? that's objectively stupid and but but it's it was important to him that all the choices and everything that you did in that game were you know concrete and consequential and to me when playing bandersnatch uh it was all really just like an illusion of choice there's only really one path that leads to you know kind of like cut to black roll credits as it were and to me i think it would have actually been more impactful that every time that you watch Bandersnatch, it you know whatever path you lead, just kind of feels more like a completed product to make it feel more consequential. I mean, Caleb, I know you had some pretty divisive thoughts, and you are definitely not in the same camp as me and Leo on this one. Yeah, like I think um, my brief thoughts on Bandersnatch, um, like I mentioned before, I didn't like it. I thought it was very self-congratulatory for doing something that wasn't particularly new. I think that if they had done even the basics in looking at how this type of choice-driven storytelling had existed in, like, the medium of video games for a really long time, there's just so many small ways that they could have made Bandersnatch better. Right, and that segues us nicely into sort of the main discussion we wanted to have today. We wanted to talk about what Bandersnatch or what the next Bandersnatch or the next Netflix choice-driven experiment, whatever that may be, what it can learn from video games, from a long history of video games that have done 
the same type of storytelling, the choice-driven decision-making storytelling that we've seen for years and years and years in many of the video games we've played. So we picked three things that the next Bandersnatch can learn from video games. And Caleb, you had the first one, so yeah. kick it off. For and us. I think I think this is the big thing, and this also kind of ties into my biggest criticism of um, Bandersnatch, which is um, the next the next attempt at this. It needs to have the choices and the story be about the characters rather than about the story or medium itself for its own sake. And to elaborate on that a little bit, um, Bandersnatch was a choice driven story that ultimately ended up being about the concept of choice-driven stories, which it's like reading a book about reading a book. Like, it's meta and kind of funny from a, like, maybe two-sentence perspective, but there's a reason that that type of thing is a short becomes short stories and not novels. And when you look at what generally is considered the strongest examples of choice-driven storytelling, um, such as Telltale's The Walking Dead and Life is Strange, um, what they are is they don't have the choices in story be about the story itself. They have it be about the characters and the relationships within it. To spoil Telltale's The Walking Dead, um, there is no sequence of options you can choose that doesn't result in virtually every character dying. However, you can determine your relationships with those characters as the story goes on. The decisions you make um, don't make the difference in whether or not Kenny or other characters do and don't survive, but it does make the decision of whether or not um, Kenny's response to you is gritting his teeth every time you're every time you try to talk to him or whether he regards you as a friend and an ally. So to so to clarify your point, you're saying that the decisions should be more heavily focused on the characters and their relationships to each other rather than driving the plot forward or backward or sideways or whatever. Exactly. And you look at you look at stories that have done this well and you can have you can and should have choices that um, determine um, the story to some degree, but when you look at the meat of a lot of those games, that's usually what's going on. Even uh, Life is Strange, which is arguably one of, if not the most popular um, story of this thing, and I think Life is Strange is probably the the example, one of the examples at least, that Bandersnatch um, has the chance to learn the most from. Um, Life is Strange, the bulk of the decisions you make are about things you would do within your friendship with friendship or relationship with Chloe and other friendships with characters in the game. And there are decisions you make that affect the the bulk of the A plot, but the majority of it is determining the nature of yours and Chloe's relationship. I would argue at its core, Life is Strange could almost be considered a friendship with Chloe simulator. So here's the here's the rebuttal I want to bring up. I think the problem with that is with Bandersnatch, we have like, what, an hour and a half, two hours max to spend time with these characters. Mm-hmm. With a game like Walking, Telltale's Walking Dead, with a game like Life is Strange, those are like 10 to 15 to 20 hour narratives. We spend a lot of time with these characters and it's enough time to build up our own opinions and thoughts and relationships with the entire cast of characters, right? Like there's plenty of time to allow those relationships to 
to grow and evolve and build along with the story. I think the problem you would face on like a two hour, 90 minute story is how do you build enough relationship for it to be A, established, B, evolve, and then C, also be driven entirely by the viewer's choice. You know, I think that might be difficult to do in like a way, way shorter time frame. I, I want to jump in and kind of bridge the gap, I think. Um, I think ultimately, and correct me if I'm wrong in saying this based on your points, because I actually started off as you were talking about basing choices on character and relationships first. I personally don't really care what the choices are based on broadly, as long as the reason we're doing these things, the reason we play games and the reason we watch movies and the reason we consume fiction or build character is because it it is characters that connect us and it's what makes us feel grounded in the show. And I think some of the criticism I've heard about Bandersnatch, which I, I didn't necessarily agree with on my own, but was um, that the characters felt thin and they felt like tools that were used to provide yeah. choices. So I don't know that I need personally Bandersnatch to change what they're focusing the choices on. But I do think that if they had doubled down on making the relationships a bigger and more explicit part of the movie, that would have given me an easier way of connecting with the characters and connecting with the relationships in a way, and so that it didn't feel so much like a practice in this thing, right? Like, you said it perfectly, I think, when you said, um, like, the meat of something is the relationships, because I do think that that's what draws us as viewers to something and causes us to really connect with something. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, Caleb, Life is Strange is one of my all-time favorite games, <laughs> and I actually completely agree with this first point that you're making. I think the characters and relationships are truly important, and to Leo's point, I think, yeah, it, it could have really helped. I don't know if fix is the right word, but it could have definitely helped me relate to the characters and sort of swallow some of the weirder parts of the story if I had a much deeper relationship with them. So I think this is definitely a good lesson that Bandersnatch could have learned from many, many years of video games who have that have focused on characters first. Yeah, and I think just qualitatively, you know, you know, we kind of touched on this. One of the things that makes talking about Bandersnatch pretty tough is that it is just so unfocused. You know, is it you know, a show about the characters between, you know, the game designer and his dad and, you know, the therapist, or is it about the meta? Because one half of the show is, you know, character work. It is plot. It is structure. The other half, we are into crazy town with, you know, meta commentary about, you know, who knows what. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to what you, the viewer, are bringing to the table you know do you respond very well to the meta stuff or do you respond well to the you know more structural character stuff and chances are you're really going to only respond to one of those very well right for sure yeah no that's an excellent point uh let's move on to our second lesson that bandersnatch can learn from games and leo this one was yours so take it away yeah so one of the you know, there was this moment that I feel like really encapsulated my experience of watching Bandersnatch. I was watching it with someone and we got to this choice and I asked her, what do you want to do? What do you, what choice do you want to make? And she said, just 
fuck me, I don't care, I want it to end. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, like, oh, so, she really enjoyed it. Oh, <laughs> uh, she was so angry. And, and I get that. Like, there were moments, I was saying this before we started recording, I picked up the book like 30 times. Like, way too many times. Uh, so, the, my, my, my point is, I know, that scene, family photo or the book. Um, so, this is sort of my point. What they can learn from games is, for a long time, video games like the Dialogue Tree video games have had the option to, you, you, you have like, do you want to say the thing that moves the conversation forward or do you want to have other topics? You want to say other things, right? And in those moments, you may find yourself repeating back over and over again. And the feeling of looping, like it, in a, in a mechanical way, it slows down the experience, which can be a good thing. But if you feel like you're stuck in a rut or you feel like you're stuck in a loop and it's like trying to lead you to quote unquote the right choice, but you keep accidentally choosing the wrong choice because you just don't know, it can be so frustrating. Yeah. So it was hard to get to the end of a Bandersnatch because sometimes the choice would loop you back frustratingly. So it's, it's this sort of like what they need to learn from what video games have been doing for a long time. And I hope that Bandersnatch 2.0 or whatever comes next kind of takes this into consideration is this idea of maintain a feeling of momentum. Yeah, and one thing that games have been doing for years that kind of solves this problem is the autosave. You know, the the idea that you're, in a sense, locking in your choices. You know, I think the first time that I remember the autosave being a storytelling device was when playing Grand Theft Auto 4. Uh, there is a sequence in the game where you're meeting two different characters and you kind of like them for different reasons. You know, they're, they're kind of polar opposite characters, um, but they're both very paranoid. And at you know a certain point, they get so paranoid that both of them ask you to kill the other person. And it's a sequence in which you can't do anything else. You know, you can't take on, you know, any side missions or anything like that. You know, the game just pops up, you know, objective markers saying, go here to kill this person, go here to kill this person. And I was so terrified of making the wrong choice that, you know, for like 20 minutes, I was just driving around the city, you know, listening to the radio, kind of being in character, you know, trying to think like, okay, what is, what is the best thing to do? And eventually I just said, you know what? Screw it. I went to one of their houses. I went to one of the objective markers. I killed this person and I instantly regretted it. And to me, like that moment was just so powerful. And the, the autosave added to the drama of the scene, you know, you can't go back. Your choices are yours. They're locked in. And when, you know, every time in, when watching Bandersnatch, every time that it kicks you back to, you know, like the choice tree and all you have to do is just, you know, you know, go ahead and make the other choice. It just kills any drama or any momentum that the scenes may have had. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it loses all stakes at that point because you know you're just going to get thrown back into a loop again and you'll have to make that decision all over. And to be fair, again, this is frustrating to talk about Bandersnatch in this way because that was almost the point. That right. was almost the intention <laughs> because sometimes when you do get looped back, the situation has changed because of what you did before the loop. 
So that is sometimes the point, but other times it wasn't the point. It's it, again, it got like super overly convoluted and meta, and it the point where like you have to make the decision about revealing Netflix. At first, I was like, "Wow, this is fascinating and interesting." And then when it kept kicking me back to the same scene over and over, I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to reveal the fucking thing about Netflix. I'll do the other option." Like, it just it started off interesting, and the first impressions were very much like, oh, these decisions are fascinating. This is cool. Because I thought my decisions would have weight and would have stakes. And then as this story progressed, the more we looped, the more it kicked me back, the lower the stakes got. And honestly, I I completely identify with your friend who was like, fuck, I don't even care. Just make a decision. I want to move on. I want to get to the end. Mm -hmm. I started feeling that at the like two hour mark where I was like, okay, I've been looping back for like the last hour. What the fuck is happening? It, that it really killed the forward momentum doing that over and over and over. I think, and that kind of transitions into my criticism of the, um, looping aspect of it too, is that, um, the fact that you could see slight changes in the dialogue and the nature of the same decision again, but not a lot meant that it wasn't always obvious um, what previous decisions you had made on previous loops were were and were not affecting the current loop, if that makes sense. And so, as a result, the extent to the extent to which what you were experiencing now was the result of previous decisions decisions you had made wasn't always obvious, and it made a lot of the show kind of vague. It didn't just lower the stakes; it also made the stakes unclear. Although I would, I would put out there that that made it more immersive for me. Like it made it less like I made choice A and they're like, remember when you made choice A because of that, you have choice C. Like the fact that I kind of felt lost and like, I don't know why I got, you know, and still, if you look at all the like secret endings and all this stuff, everybody's like, I don't know how I got there, but I did like these 300 steps in this order. And clearly there's ambiguity there. And I think, I think that's intentional. Um, mostly just because again, they, of course they could have just written the script to be like, well, remember when you chose Frosties here, we're going to show you a Frosties commercial, but instead it's those tiny little changes that make you think, oh man, were the small decisions impactful? I don't know genuinely because sometimes it seems like they are and sometimes they're measurably not. Yeah. I think there's a happy medium there, though. There's got to be a bit of ambiguity to where we're not just seeing the entire picture and the viewer isn't basically connecting the dots all on their own. At the same time, the viewer shouldn't get confused or have no reason why <laughs> things are, have no understanding why things are happening right. <laughs> at all. Because I think that goes too far in the opposite direction of now you're intentionally hiding things or intentionally leaving the viewer in the dark. And that can be frustrating as an active participant in a story, right? Like when you're passively watching something like a show like Lost and you're left in the dark, that's a decision from the writers. You understand as a viewer watching Lost that the writers are hiding what the smoke monster is because of a reveal later or because it'll tie into the story at some point. That's sort of the, I suppose, contract you're in with the writer, that they are doing this on purpose because they've promised you that you'll get a payoff from it. But in Bandersnatch, when you're an active participant, 
you're in a contract with yourself. You make a decision about Frosted Flakes, hoping that it will affect the story in some way. But if it's so obscure or so amb- ambiguous, you never even realize the consequence of that decision. I think it goes too far. And the decision starts to lose weight. And I think that takes away from the effectiveness of the story and the whole point of having decisions in the first place. Yeah, I see what you mean, because for me, like the more and more choices I had to make and more and more it looped back for it trying to be like an semi-interactive piece of media, the more and more passive I felt uh, because it felt less like I was making choices that drove the narrative. And it just started to feel like, you know, just picking chapters out of like a Blu-ray menu. Uh, but, but high production value blurry menu at that. <laughs> yeah. Again, high production value. <laughs> this actually segues beautifully, beautifully into the third lesson that we chose the lesson that I chose in particular. And that's the idea of actually revealing some of these statistics. I've personally played some games where at the end of each chapter or at the end of a certain section, at the end of a pivotal, pivotal decision point, the game shows you statistics about what other people have chosen, what routes other people went, whether or not you were in the majority or the minority. It reveals some of that for you. And I think, A, that's interesting in a lot of the other podcasts and analysis of Bandersnatch that I listen to. This is one thing that kept coming up over and over. Netflix obviously knows which decisions were made more. They are obviously keeping track of those statistics. It would be very cool as a viewer, after a pivotal point in the Bandersnatch story, to find out how many... Okay, cereal isn't pivotal, but it would be interesting to know how many people went Frosted Flakes, you know? Like, let me know (laughs) that I'm in the majority and that Frosted Flakes are dope. That, I think, would be interesting. A lot of games have done that. Life is Strange does that. The Telltale games do that. Really, a lot of story-based games do that. And I think that's where um, we very briefly go back to our first two points, where um, part of the reason that Bandersnatch couldn't have been able to do that is because the loops meant you were making the same decision, sometimes multiple iterations over, and the fact that the story was itself about the meta-decisions Um, meant that a lot of those decisions were a little bit more convoluted. And so as a result, it's like, what percentage of people picked up the book over the family photo? Well, which iteration? How many times? Yeah, true, true. Most people probably picked up both at least once, but in what order and how many times? Or in Leo's case, 30 times. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, what they could do is they could could give you, relative to your experience, right? Like 8% of people got the same ending as you did in the same way. Or like, here's where it branched. And again, it's like, it can be hard to calculate that stuff, but ultimately they have the data. It's just a matter of how they choose to present it to you. Because you're right that some of the numbers would be meaningless. Like some of them just would not. It'd be like, oh, you know, 0.6% of people saw the ending where the author shows up and stabs the character. Like, cool. Like, what does that mean as much though, relative to your experience? And like, I think, like I said, that a little bit of that ties into like, they, they could have done that. They could have revealed the statistics more easily 
Um, and they can reveal the statistics in the future if they follow the first two a little bit more carefully about not making the story about the medium and uh, about not um, constantly looping the story back so the same decisions are being made again and again with vaguely defined changes. Yeah, all, all three of our lessons really do sort of feed into each other and all tie tie in together. And I think there are lessons that video games have figured out over many, many iterations and trial and error. A lot of games do these things badly, to be fair. We're yeah. not saying video yeah. games have always done this better than Bandersnatch did. But we're saying that throughout the long, long history of video game storytelling, and particularly decision-based video game storytelling, writers and developers and creators have figured out the ideal ways of telling impactful and strong stories with meaning uh, and strong characters and deep relationships and stories that have emotional core. And I think those are the things that Bandersnatch can really learn from what video games have done over many years of trial and error. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's rate and review, not a binary decision. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.